Today, the city of Houston got some input on a plan to expand its shot spotter program. That's technology used to detect the sounds of gunshots. Last week, Houston City Council overwhelmingly voted to expand the use of shot spotter, a gunfire detection system, even though there's no evidence that it helps stop gun crimes. Why on earth is Houston spending $3.5 million to do that? Why do Harris County and loads of other American cities still use the technology anyway? And how should we be spending our police money? I'm talking today with CityCast contributor Evan Mintz, who was a Pulitzer finalist for Houston Chronicle editorials he wrote about gun control, and with DeRay McKesson, host of the podcast Pod Save the People and leader of Campaign Zero, a national nonprofit that advocates for data-driven policy to reduce police violence. It's Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Evan, DeRay, let's go. DeRay, real briefly, what is ShotSpotter? How does it work? How is it supposed to work? So what ShotSpotter will tell you is that ShotSpotter is a gunshot detection program that helps to solve crime or stop crime or mitigate crime or something about crime. That's their that's their claim. Uh, in reality, uh, we believe that it is a loud noise detection program and that the relationship between ShotSpotter and crime is really loose. So what does the technology look like? So most people know that cameras in uh, low-income communities that that are cameras, right? Like in Baltimore, they're the blue light cameras. In other cities, they don't necessarily have a blue light, but they're in. They're like posted all around the city. Imagine microphones that are that are essentially the same thing. So ShotSpotter contracts with the city for a geographic location in Houston. It's five miles. Part of the expansion is going to add, I think, two more miles on. So it is a square mile footage, and it is microphones that are posted. We don't know exactly where the microphones are because. They say that it's proprietary information, but we do know like the region and neighborhoods. Okay, so theoretically, there's a loud noise. It reports it to the police, and somehow the police have an idea of where there may have been a gunshot. Yep. So if you ask Shot Spotter, so it's over 120 decibels is what we know. The shot, like the loud noise, goes is detected by Shot Spotter. It goes through some technological verification. It's also verified by a person, and then that. That sound and alert, like actual recording of the sound and the alert is sent to the officers. Officers have essentially an app on their phone that is a mimicry of dispatch. So in some cities, uh, the ShotSpotter alert is actually sent through dispatch as well. But the police can actually get it straight up from ShotSpotter without having to go through dispatch in almost all the cities that we know. Okay. And Evan, can you cover what happened here? We, We did a pilot program. That's right. Back in early 2000, ShotSpotter came to Houston and offered to do a free pilot program. They'd set up one of their systems uh, and collect data on it to nominally show that it worked. And so from the end of 2020 through September 2021, uh, their system detected uh, more than 5,600 instances of gunfire or you know loud noise. Then out of all of those, only about 2,300 were inside the pilot area, part of this program. And then among those, only about 20% led to some kind of offense report. Uh, So this really narrows down to like, what is it that uh, police are getting from this? Are they being sent on these sort of wild goose chases, uh, you know, with guns drawn, ready to go into a place where they think uh, bullets are being fired? 
And maybe it was just a loud noise from construction. Maybe it was just fireworks. It's really hard to get exactly what's going on in there. What happened with Houston City Council last week? The council approved to expand the program by 16 to 1 vote for a five-year, $3.5 million contract. And even Mike Knox, who's conservative on city council, former cop, was really skeptical about this. He thought the data wasn't there. This shows it's not working. Uh, but everyone except for uh, Letitia Plummer supported it. There's a call right now throughout the city to say, like, we need something. We need some kind of response to this increase in homicides. And the neighborhoods that are being offered this, residents showed up and said, please put this in our neighborhoods because we want some kind of response to violence. So the formulation is basically people are getting shot. We must do something. Shot spotter is something. Therefore, we must do shot spotter. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I think that's exactly it, which is a little depressing, too, that the city doesn't have some kind of more effective response to say, well, we know violence is up. So why don't we come up with some programs that we think will actually work? DeRay, is that the sort of thing you're seeing in other cities? It's not just Houston, right? So a couple of things to remember about Houston is that what Houston will tell you is that they will say that the police didn't ask for this. That is like a, that's one of the talking points in Houston. And they are nominally right. What, what happened after the last protest is that Shotspotter went to cities and said, well, essentially give it to you for free for a year. And then after that year, we'll, we'll charge you, right? Council member Abby Kamen brought up George Floyd's grandniece, right? That four-year-old who got shot last week. Abby goes, well, if uh, there had been an alert... Like, we would have been able to potentially get to the scene faster, help out. Like, that was sort of the narrative that, that Abby sort of projected. And later, literally, I think the next day, one of the local stations wrote about it. And what we learned is that there was an alert. And that the alert still led the police to canvas the neighborhood for over three hours. The alert did not provide them with anything new that 911 wouldn't have. But there was an alert, and the police actually said that the alert still meant that they had to do the canvassing. So this idea that the alert like tells you where to start, and to, you and I both know every shooter is gone. By the time that alert is coming, the shooter is long gone. I, I suppose there's an argument there that people are trying to make that if there is a lack of trust between communities and police, and there is a, an act of violence, that people just won't call 911, and ShotSpotter will fill in for that. It'll get it quicker than people dialing. But I think that's just covering up that there's a bigger underlying issue that ShotSpotter will never solve and that uh, city council or any local government, rather than trying to come in with some technological innovation, should be focusing on the underlying problem that people don't trust the police or police don't work well with communities, that there aren't those lines of communication there, and that putting a bunch of microphones around a neighborhood uh, isn't going to get at that. And these communities where ShotSpotter is going, we're not talking about, you know, West U or River Oaks. These tend to be communities of color, right? In Houston, it is uh, what we know publicly is that the five mile zone is in southeast Houston, including parts of Old Spanish Trail in Sunnyside. And I'll just read a quote from the police because it took it was a four hour delay with uh, when George Floyd's grandniece, she was four years old is that they said, and this is what so I, I honestly wish that we had known this today at the hearing. The president of the Houston Police Officers Union, he says they did respond quickly to the apartment complex where she lived and it was notified by ShotSpotter. The notification came at 3 a.m. It did not give a specific apartment that officers needed to go to, but only that there had been gunfire near the complex. The quote from the police union head is, 
Quote, they drove around the complex. Nobody flagged them down. They didn't see any spent casings or anything like that. They cleared it. It's like, that is what that is what we know. That's no better than a 911 call. I mean, like, what does, this is not more efficient. This didn't help you do anything better. It didn't save anybody's life. Didn't stop a gunshot. Didn't find a victim. None of that. That is a waste of money. Is ShotSpotter maybe making it more dangerous, not safer for people in the neighborhoods? Isn't there some ShotSpotter-related case of police shooting an innocent person? What is true is that the shooter's gone. By the time ShotSpotter gets an alert, the shooter's out of there. But somebody might be there. Like, people might be around. And because the police feel so confident that something happened because ShotSpotter said it, they are getting out of the car ready. They're getting out of the car amped, right? This is what we know from Chicago and places that like we do have anecdotal evidence from a people in community. And you know, there's been a lot of research in Chicago because Adam Toledo was a shot spotter kill. And Adam Toledo, was a, he was a teenager who was killed by the police. It was not an hour one call that led to the police. They were shot spotter. So what could we be doing with that money? How could we spend money better to prevent crime, to stop violent crime? We just saw an instance of this at the county level. The county spent $50 million on uh, violence reduction programs, non-police initiatives, planting new trees, adding new lights, tearing down blight, things that have been proven through research, randomized control trials to reduce violent crime. It's not the exact targeted thing that I think people want, but these are backed by evidence. If I am afraid of gun violence in my neighborhood and you say, oh, let me come plant some oaks, that's not going to calm me down, right? No, but I think that gets to a larger question. Uh, do people want things that are proven to reduce violence or do they want a big show that makes it feel like their local leaders are being tough on crime? Because those are two different things. You can do a lot of stuff that seems tough that won't actually reduce violent crime rates. Didn't somebody at Houston City Council basically say that ShotSpotter is mainly to make people feel better? Now, I will tell you, Tarsha Jackson on the council literally says to somebody who calls in, we know this will not, not stop gun crime. We know this will not find shooters, but it'll allow you to go to sleep better at night. <laughs> You're like, what? That is not, I mean, we could not make decisions like that. <laughs> You're like, if I were an elected official, if I were on city council, I'd be a huge coward. I'd vote for it because crime is out of control and I don't want to be up there. People saying, oh, well, you could have done something. You could have done this thing and you didn't take any steps. All right. Evan, DeRay, thank you all both for doing this. I really appreciate it. Next up, it is time for some news. I am here with producer Dina Kesba. Dina, what is going on right now in Houston? So here's what I've been reading about. Houston Methodist, the Texas Children's Hospital, and Baylor College of Medicine. That's three major Houston hospitals who are now going to require their employees to get their booster shots. Oh, that's a big deal, right? Because Yeah. I mean, has anybody else in the U.S. done that yet? No. Actually, I've read this line that said that they're the first institutions nationwide to elevate their vaccine requirements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when does that take effect? Does that mean everybody has to get them right now? So far for the Houston Methodist, managers have to have their boosters by January 31st, and the rest of their employees will have it by March. I think for Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital, they're still working out their dates because I haven't really seen a finalized date as to when that would happen. But I mean, we all remember the debate from last year, right? This The whole legality behind having policies like this. There was, I mean, a whole walkout and a protest and even a lawsuit about mandating vaccines. But what I've read is there doesn't seem to be a lot of pushback this time around. Well, aren't we in the middle of a surge? <laughs> 
I mean, it seems like this is coming too late to deal with the Omicron hospitalizations, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. And I mean, as more doctors and nurses call out sick from getting COVID, oh man. Oh, well, better late than never. All right, that is it for today, y'all. Subscribe to our newsletter at houston.citycast.fm. Rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell two friends that they need to listen. One more thing. Uh, We need to make a correction to our January 6th episode. Our guest, Sergio Chapa, said that during that nothing big freeze January 1st and 2nd, that Texas had to burn off 1 billion cubic feet of natural gas. He meant to say 1 million. Uh, It does not affect the gist of the show, which is that 20% of Texas natural gas capacity went offline during a piddly little regular January freeze, which ought to alarm us all. We will be back tomorrow. See you then. Oh, Zoom is just killing us. (laughs) It is. It's lagging so bad.